Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Black Men Unlearning. My name is Edwin Lee. And I'm Kyle Brooks. Hey y'all, this is episode 10. Yeah. That's crazy. We've done, this is the 10th episode of Black Men Unlearning. We're really excited about uh about this journey, man. Kyle, it's episode 10. Like, in that, I can't believe it. Man, it was all a dream. <laughs> uh Wow. Yeah. I mean, I even think back to, you know, now over a year and a half ago when we first sat down at the coffee shop and we're sketching out and talking about ideas for this. And now to be 10 episodes in, it's beautiful and it's really gratifying. And it's a reminder to me that you got to get started before <laughs> you get it perfect. Um, there's no sense in waiting until, oh, well, let me get everything refined and get everything sharp and as tight as can be. It's like, well, if you start with a draft, you can always edit. Yes, sir. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, good good to be here, man, in this moment. Absolutely. And I think the, the challenge, even as I think back to when we were having our initial conversations and kind of planning out the podcast, like we... Then very shortly thereafter, moved into the pandemic, um, dealing with lockdown. And so, you know, this, this podcast and this idea uh, was on hold because we were just dealing with a lot. And so there's a lot of ways that uh, these last, is it, is it 16 months now? Is that what we're, it, yep, yep, 16 months. Yeah, thereabouts. Yeah, these last 16 months have, uh, serve to kind of shift our perspectives, um, change the way uh, that our lives move, uh, and change how we understand the way that the world uh, operates. And so uh, today we thought it might be good just to talk about some of our pandemic reflections. What, uh, what has changed in us? What uh, have we taken away and what would we like to move forward with? Um, so Kyle, what sticks out to you is kind of, you know, some of the primary things that you have taken away from uh, these last 16 months? Well, I will start with this. The concept of time is so flexible and variable. The first like two weeks or so of, of being in social isolation in that month of, of March felt like the longest couple of weeks ever. Um, and I remember feeling just a sense of uncertainty. I don't know if uh, dread is quite the word. I just knew, okay, there's a whole lot going on that I don't really know about. There's you know, no way to buy personal protective equipment right now because everything sold out everywhere. Folks have bought up all the toilet paper and paper towel and cleaning supplies. And, and just there's this, so there's both like that intensity of purpose, like everyone trying to run around and get stuff done and get themselves settled. And then ghost town. Yeah. And so like, I, I, I remember that as the kind of lasting initial impact of, 
man, the way I think about and feel about time and space is this work when you're when your home is now your workplace in a permanent way and really your home now becomes where you do everything because you're not going anywhere uh it it struck me that no longer having those divisions and those boundaries around time and space and how i spent it and who i spent it with um it was very easy to just kind of it was like being in sensory deprivation you you lose track of time and you don't know what day it is and it all just feels very disorienting and off balance yeah i i remember um trying to set things up so that i could work from my house i think the 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 challenge there you know you're you're going out to the store. I remember having to go to IKEA to buy a desk, uh, and like the the low level, you know, terror that is kind of bubbling in the background every time you're going out because you're getting used to uh, how things have changed and uh, the level of risk that you know seemingly normal tasks have now taken on. Right? Um, I you know you go from washing all your, your your groceries off or wiping them down when you get home. Uh, so there was that season of the pandemic and it, just kind of dealing with the, the kind of constant, uh, for me, not consistently dealing with anxiety before this in, in uh, a big way, and then starting to deal with this kind of background uh, noise level anxiety, or maybe more than noise level anxiety that, um, just seem to be consistent with everything, right? Um, mm -hmm. Figuring out how to adjust uh, to, right, the home space being everything, uh, working out <laughs> at home yeah. has been a, an adventure in and of itself. Um, the ways initially that I realized that me being stationary was really making me miserable, um, the, the mm -hmm. change in rhythm I think in in accordance or or in lockstep with that idea of what you talked about with time uh, being hard to kind of perceive well, um, you know, you falling out of a, a daily routine really created uh, just some issues with feeling normal. Uh, you know, we live in Columbus, Ohio, so it was still pretty cold during that time too, uh, yeah. and so you know, not really being outdoors or having that option initially uh, uh, was challenging. Uh, and, and you know, overall, it was just, a, uh, it was it was trying to drink from a fire hose, man. Like everything changed in a, in a drop of a dime. Uh, and then we had to just adjust, like work didn't stop. You had to get ready and, and, and transition in that space too. So us both working in academia, uh, we experienced kind of that shift. Uh, and all the while, you know, you're still a person dealing with all of these changes. And so um, at some point it required, uh, it required me to take a step back and, and ask, you know, hey, are, are you good? Asking myself, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and which is the question that I am still asking myself mm -hmm. <laughs> 16 months into this. Are you good? And 
and you know, as I've shared with you, it's taken some real intentional work to step back and to evaluate what are you feeling and how are you feeling it and how do you know? So much of my sensory system, I felt like just became so dull and blunted that it was hard to feel anything after a while. Uh, the days bleed into each other. Um, you know, the, the novelty of catching up with everybody on Zoom fades quickly. Yeah. And for me, at least, the, the fade wasn't just, oh, I don't feel like doing this. It was, oh, I don't feel like talking to anyone. Like, I went into isolation mode and had to struggle with and struggle through uh, finding my way back to meaningful connection. Because uh, that's the thing, I, I will admit in some ways and respects, I can be mm, a bit of a solitude addict. I like time alone. I like introspection. I like time to really dig into the, the heart of my being <laughs> and all the, the philosophical ways that that unfolds. Um, but really it, it, it's been on this end of the, the pandemic spectrum of time, returning to those spaces of presence with people and sitting with folk and having a meal, uh, I realized, yo, there's a texture to this that I've missed so much and so many of the things I thought I craved were really just, oh no, those are just like coping mechanisms. It's like when you, when you start, say like regulating your day-to-day -day diet and your body eventually adjusts to, oh, not having sugar on demand or not having caffeine on demand. And suddenly, you know, if you have that, that you know that sweet thing again or that caffeinated thing again it you know feels like so much more of a shock to your system or a jolt um and I, so i realized in a number of ways oh when you're with people in health healthy relationship you're no longer looking for continual coping mechanisms you're actually just being in a space of in a kind of healthy continuum that um lets you be seen and known and heard. Uh, and that's hard to do when it's just you and screens. Yeah, I was particularly tested with that because I'm a pretty classic extrovert, right? So um, being around people, yeah. uh, being a card carrying member of team two, doing too much. Uh, mm -hmm. So being completely, you know, overscheduled and things like that. Uh, was yeah. a big part of what my routine was. And so once we started, you know, shutting things down and not being in person, which means I don't have, you know, a list of places to go on a regular basis, um, it just changed the the pace um, that I was moving at. And at some point I realized that that the previous pace wasn't wasn't good for me. Uh, it really wasn't making me feel good. Um, I was getting more rest initially um, at the at the top of the pandemic, and you know, by slowing down and giving myself space to, you know, to 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 sleep, 
uh, and to not be present at a bunch of meetings and running from this event to the next event, right? Uh, I was feeling more of what it is to just be myself, uh, mm -hmm. you know, in not in the context of uh, my connections to other folks, but um, just who I am and what it was that I needed at the time. Uh, and I realized that I hadn't been spending uh, very much energy on that at all in my, you know, day to day. Um, and so, you know, when I started to dive into that in therapy, you know, <laughs> it started to highlight that, yeah, you know, this slowing down has been significantly difficult in, a, in myriad ways, right? Um, mm -hmm. in, in no uncertain terms, I don't um want i don't look at the pandemic as a blessing right this has been yeah. a complete a complete cluster um in myriad ways um in the ways that it's affected people close to us people um that we don't know um hundreds of thousands of deaths in this country alone millions around the world right uh, mm -hmm. largely unavoidable but that's uh, kind of not the topic we're focusing on today. Um, but it did give time to kind of recognize that the the rhythm that had been thrust upon us, uh, <laughs> passed down as our inheritance uh, for being here, um, mm -hmm. felt really out of sync with what exactly it was that I was starting to realize I needed. For sure. And, you know, I'm glad you, I'm glad you mentioned the well, a couple things. First, the the fact of how the pandemic exposed for us how a lot of our normal rhythms were just not healthy rhythms at all. Uh, there was too much happening, and all of, and it's the it's an odd thing to me that like the further our world advances technologically. And in all of the ways that we're able to do work more efficiently, you know, the capitalist impulse just keeps filling our time with more stuff to do. Not more rest, not more relaxation. Like all of these markers of progress just lead to us doing more and more, seeking more, more profit, seeking more gain. And there has, you know, well, I will, I will, I will say this about the the pandemic, and I and I'm in the same boat. Um, it's what you know, my military uncle would, uh, you know, what they call foobar. And if you don't know what that is, you can look it up. Um, but uh, in the in the in the wake of all that, or even in the midst of of that, and in successive waves of experiencing this this challenge. You know, what becomes clear to me is how a lot of it is grounded in our cultural commitment to hyper-individualism. Yeah. It's difficult for things to get better when people are socialized to not care about anyone else. When that is, is elevated as a virtue, like looking out for, for number one at all times, uh, puts us in a place where you know, we aren't willing to do the things that, you know, everything, everything I do isn't simply about my personal freedoms or personal benefit. It's very much about how 
how do I do the work of moving through life in a way that also shows care for my neighbor? Um, Cause stuff is, man, it's, it's rough. It's rough. Like it's, and it's rough even for those of us who have relative degrees of privilege. Yeah. Um, Cause I'll, I'll tell you this coming out, coming, coming through, through this experience in different ways. One of the things that became clear for me was I, I will gladly exercise and expend resources to make some things easier and more convenient. Mm-hmm. Um, Because, I mean, this is, you know, this has been the opposite of convenience. If anything, it has been, I think, a kind of sad consequence of what happens, right? Like, the, the irony for me, it's not lost on me that part of the way that this virus spread in the way it did is because of technological advancement. Mm-hmm. Because we can hop on transatlantic flights and be at a different country in a matter of hours, um things spread like this is how stuff spreads like this is you know and i know everyone's like you know an amateur virologist and epidemiologist now you know now that these vaccines are out but and that's a whole another topic for another time but fundamentally like you said like there, there's some there's something in the way that the pandemic has exposed uh a deep lack of communal care but also has revealed people's willingness to do whatever it takes to get back to something they think of as normal. Yeah. Um, You know, that is reflected significantly in just the idea that we haven't as a, as a nation ever taken a moment and, you know, pointed out, hey, this many people have died. Like this is an ongoing pan- pandemic right. going forward. And we have largely from, you know, leadership across the board been on the get back to normal train. And it's hard to, I mean, it's it it's getting gaslit basically by, yeah. by our leadership, getting gaslit by our leadership essentially and, and um, having them <laughs> to quote <laughs> an old uh thing that i once heard my father say it's like you telling me it's raining while you're pissing on me um and so yep. you know it's it's just really it's really um it's really difficult to navigate that the the part of this where we are supposed to operate uh still at our best in our the spaces where we work the spaces where we serve on uh, the places where we, um, you know, show up for community when collectively we're not even acknowledging what has happened around us. Um, I think that this also, uh, if you're kind of watching, if you know, because we went into the lockdown, I want to say sometime around late March, um, and it was a couple weeks maybe. Uh, yeah. And, it, you know, suddenly on the news, you start hearing people talking about how we got to open up the economy uh, because you know, everything's gonna blow up if we don't. And, you know, uh, I thought you were billionaires. I thought that you all were extremely rich. And it, it just goes to show like this entire system uh, really operates on the, on the backs of the folks who work uh, in these, you know, so-called uh, 
uh, low skill jobs, you know, mm-hmm. uh, unskilled labor, uh, which is a ridiculous term. And exactly. Uh, there's no such thing as unskilled labor. Um, but the whole thing came to a screeching halt uh, and certainly threatened uh, the value of many corporations. Um, just because we were letting people go to the house to try to let get a pandemic under control. Um, and so it's just, it's been, it's been hard to feel anywhere near normal when um, we are truly having the value um, of our lives um, questioned, assessed, reassessed, devalued, um, by the, you know, desire to keep it moving. Man. Yeah, we don't, yeah, we don't, we don't, it, it's not surprising either because it's reflective of what we were doing all along, not pausing to, to be attentive to our own needs, but also the needs of others. Um, not stopping long enough to be reflective about what we're doing and why. Um, the and I'm and I'm thinking of our conversation, you know, the other week on grief. Uh, it 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 strikes me just how many people have not been able to properly grieve those they love, um, folks who you know, you know, couldn't have funerals, people who were, you know buried at quiet gravesides uh, and just the collective weight of that and I, i'm bothered too by the ways in which one people also pra- practice this denial as you said that if we just don't pay any attention to it it'll be fine uh but also what it means when we downplay the significance of you know over six hundred thousand people dying from this disease and and it, and it says something about what people actually think of people's lives in yes. the abstract. When we just think about death as, oh, well, that's a thing that happens. Yes, but people's lives matter. Like, this, is, this is one of the few instances where I would be willing to say all lives matter because fam, like, People don't have to be dying of COVID nineteen. They don't. They don't. You know, but and and the and the, the many justifications for what essentially is cruel and unusual behavior, whether it's oh, you know, we're going to maintain these patents on the drugs so they can't be you know more freely and accessibly distributed to other nations where they're in profound need. I mean, like I think about how hard hit uh, India was with the with the with the pandemic like and and so i I find myself just wondering on some level like so man what's the like what's the point of all of this that we're that we're doing man if people are just kind of like shuffling around figuring out ways to distract themselves uh on the journey towards death um which i mean may sound a bit morbid to some but functionally i'm like so much of this stuff we we say well we can't do this or this unravels or this collapses. I'm like, bruh, everything is made up. Right. 
The economy right. is, is not right. Someone made up these things. And just because we're accustomed to how they function, what they do for us, doesn't mean uh, like who who is the the economy? Everyone talks about it. It's like, oh, what is it really? What are the parameters of that? You know, because listen, folk love talking about free market until they realize, oh, these people are free to not come back to these low paying jobs for menial okay. labor that you don't value but whose production and output are valuable enough to you to make you your million have them at home for two weeks that you couldn't exactly. have them at home for two weeks exactly yeah i mean uh it's 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 difficult to stay to keep the kind of the same perspectives on how the system works particularly because slowing down gave us more time to think more rest gave us more time to process um and mm-hmm. i think you know that that had a lot to do with uh even the responses that we had to uh the the rash of police killings of um you know brianna taylor taylor uh ahmaud arbery and george floyd and how the the american public response to that was largely because People was at the house and had time to think and had time to say, like, wait a minute, how, what, what is this? What are we doing? Right. And so as we are, you know, being pushed into this get back to normal phase, I'm, I'm, I found, I feel myself objecting. No, I don't, I don't want, I don't want whatever normal was uh, because I realized how little that actually did for us, for me, like what good was it? Um, running all about not having an opportunity to kind of, you know, think about anything that wasn't work or Mm -hmm. some responsibility that I have for whatever organization or what have you. It's just not really a great setup for us to produce the things um, that were placed within us to produce. And I I even hesitated that word because uh, one of the big takeaways during this, you know, last year and change, it's like, you are not what you produce. And what you produce, like they will, they're just here to take it. Yeah. And if you don't produce it, they will find someone else who will. Find someone else, yes. And the cycle will go on and on and on. Something that, that struck me um, and, I, and I think about various conversations I've had with people and the many things that have been going on while this pandemic is happening. The fact that we are experiencing profound impacts of climate change and folks continue to deny it. Um, I gotta think about my, my friends in the Bay Area on the West Coast at large, you know, having days where because of these wildfires, they come out and the sky is orange Mm -hmm. and the air quality is intolerable. And so you add a pandemic, you know, to a pandemic, you add now having to stay physically inside your house because there's no fresh air for you to get. Um, And when we think about these effects that get getting multiplied 
Um, and you know, this is I think a key a key learning and, and takeaway from the pandemic is that uh, consequences and outcomes are not commensurate with your level of responsibility or fault. That's Which right. is to say, you know, the people most deeply impacted by this are not the folk who actually had the ability to redirect the path and flow of events. I think about how the most intense uh, side effects of climate change are being experienced in places in the global south. And what it means for folk who do not have the social and economic mobility to just up and move someplace else, uh, who are facing increasingly unbearable climates. And like this stuff, like this stuff is not going in reverse. No. Um, and, you know, who knows what other kinds of viruses or illnesses or things, right? Like, you know, evolve and, and shift and change in light of a sort of ecosystem that is being actively unraveled by detrimental human activity. Um, I mean, cause and effect in this situation is complicated, but there are some big lines that we can draw, right? So you pointed yeah. out the part about uh, how, you know, patents on these vaccines make it more difficult to distribute them to widely across the globe, right? And so we saw mm -hmm. this huge uptick in cases in India and lo and behold, the Delta variant that is now causing all the issues with cases going up here in the United States again and around the world came from India. Like allowing Bro. that to happen for the capitalist reasons that it was allowed to happen have created the circumstances that we're dealing with right now, right? And so it's this, it's this lack of understanding of our interconnection that is just becoming really, um, hard to um to sit with man this leaves a bad taste in my mouth because this stuff isn't difficult to um to synthesize into uh the the cause and effect nature uh what you know confluence of events have caused certain outcomes or what like purposeful actions have caused uh you know these circumstances that we're dealing with it's it's, it's difficult to have a lot of respect for uh, a system that we were broadly and, and, and I should say by and large taught to, you know, have respect for uh, when it creates these circumstances and it, it doesn't care that these circumstances are this way. It doesn't do anything to make a huge adjustment, right? It's like when you're in a relationship with somebody, right? And they tell you that something that you're doing is bothering them. You have yeah. a choice to just blow it off or to adjust, and the 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 largely the the response that you give is commensurate with the level to which you care, the weather to which the level to which you love, right? And so, if you mm -hmm. just blow it off, like it wouldn't be a, a a wrong thing for that person to then uh, take that as a lack of love being present, right? And in much the same way, like you can't tell us that you care about us. And we have over 600,000 deaths in this country and a rising variant that's causing even more trouble and is affecting those who are even two dose vaccinated, right? And we're doing nothing. And so yeah. 
it, it causes like the individual to really think like, okay, well, what is my value in this system? And what am I contributing to? Or hopefully like you're, you know, thinking about the, um, what ends up being the, the, the legacy that you, that you leave. Uh, and for me, I'm starting to, to wonder like, am I doing things because this is what was designed for me or am I doing it because this is what makes me feel whole and makes me feel free? Um, and one of the things that the pandemic and all of the responses that we've seen has pushed me toward is wanting to do more of the things that feel like they are in alignment with my soul, right? And that they, they move me on a deeper level because I'm realizing the rest of this stuff is, it's a, it's, it's a house of cards. Man, we live, we live very fragile lives and we are often insulated in various ways from the fragility thereof. Mm -hmm. We do not see just how quickly things can go left in significant and long-term ways. And it's that inability to practice meaningful foresight that I think produces such a struggle for us as, as, as a whole. We collectively, you know, well before the pandemic, collectively lost sight of what does it look like and mean to really be in meaningful community and interdependent community? Uh, what, is it, what is it like to recognize that my well-being depends on another person's depends on our mutual care and concern. And that stuff sounds, you know, people start saying, oh, that sounds real like socialist and communistic and whatever. Um, and I think, well, no, it just sounds like not being an absolute jerk in every aspect of life. Like it, it sounds like asking simply, what are the long-term consequences of the things I do for my own convenience? and self-interest. Um, this, this experience of the pandemic has really pushed me to ask some hard and meaningful questions about uh, what does my ethic of care look like? Uh, what does it look like to, to really be working towards interdependence with the folks in uh, the folks I call my neighbors, the folks I call my community? Because it's clear that, you know, things go better with teamwork it's easier to make some things happen in your life when you have folks who are working with you and working on your behalf working alongside you um, and so that collaborative ethos to me is like that's the only way we get through this kind of stuff in a meaningful way and, and not in some way that just ends up looking like um, you know, and so I, what comes to mind is the movie, uh, well, it's now a series as well, but I enjoyed the movie Snowpiercer, where the post-apocalyptic event, the world is covered in ice and snow, and so all of the remaining human beings are put onto this train that never stops running. And I think about what does it take to fuel a train that never stops running? What does it take to fuel economies that never stop um, who, who lives and dies um, in the effort to sustain that and who sits comfortably 
in another car on the train mm-hmm. and does that while others are laboring to make their comfortable lives possible. Uh, to me, it's it just it's so clear that one, you can't force people to care for each other. Um, and you also can't force people to not be asinine. I, some people, and, and that man, the, the pandemic has shown me in various respects how folk mistake contrarianism for free thinking. Come on. Like you're not, if, if, if all of your free thinking is simply a reactive mechanism to stuff you don't like or stuff you don't want to do, that's not thinking, that's just reaction. That's just, you know, I, will, I won't even, I won't say you're acting like a kid because even a lot of kids have better self-regulation than a lot of adults I've seen. And I fear that um, what, what, what is, what's been exposed in so many respects is, man, you know, what if, what, what if the most profound and detrimental virus on this planet has actually been the humans? And then what do we do with that, right? It's yeah. It's 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 gotten to a place where you know you can just look at all of the ways that we failed over the last, you know, however many years you wanna wanna put on it, because it just it doesn't feel like mm-hmm. our leadership has made uh, almost any good choices. Um, but. It's also difficult to to find kind of the place that you can make the impacts to adjust it. Because mm-hmm. I don't think it's any of our individual responsibilities to fix the things that we didn't break, right? Yeah. I think we can strive and push ourselves to um, talk about how things can be better, um, do the the kind of creative work around thinking about you know the the concrete ways that we can make these things better i think the 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 other thing that has stuck out to me is that you know if this world as we know it is to you know continue in a way that allows it to be somewhat livable for all of us in it uh it's going to require to us to you know i don't know if changing some minds is the way to to, to put it because I don't I don't know that we have that ability to just change people's minds. I think mm-hmm. it's figuring out effective ways to communicate ideas about how we can live together better, how we can create space uh, for us all to live together better. Um, and I, I think we have we have some big challenges with that man like you know we <laughs> we are um, we are addicted to capitalism. We are addicted to individualism, right? And choosing for ourselves and, you know, that whole free thought idea, you know? Um, And so I wonder, even as we're, you know, navigating our individual changes, how we might go about existing with uh, folks who, whose actions or behaviors are creating difficult circumstances for all the, the difficult circumstances that we all deal with, right? 
Absolutely. These are systemic and structural issues that are much larger than any one of us. Uh, what they bring to mind for me, and I think you you said something important here around the the idea of you know can you change people's minds? And for me, changing someone's mind is less salient than changing their behavior. Right. Like, I don't. You know, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. Uh, you know, I'm not. I'm not in the desire to on do policing of any sort, but particularly not policing of people's thoughts. Mm -hmm. And what you think on your own free time and in your own free space like is, is on you. And I might think some of it is retrograde and terrible and shouldn't be spoken out loud. And hopefully they don't. But for me, the question is, what happens when that thought becomes behavior, becomes part of ideology that becomes invisible to folks, so they just do and act and speak out of an unseen framework that's governing what they do. Because I think a lot of people aren't even necessarily malicious. It's just, yo, there are detrimental ways we operate and act towards one another and towards the disenfranchised and the vulnerable that reflect the fact that, oh man, we don't really, we don't really care about each other like that. We don't, yeah. We're not paying attention in the ways that we need to be in order to see, oh, you know, this stuff hits really differently for folk who don't have um, the same kinds of privileges. I I read something um, just today, actually, uh, and you know, but the website Buzzfeed does a lot of little like listicles and those type things. And, and one of them uh, I was looking at today was speaking about uh, like 15 things that are major privileges that we don't think about. Mm -hmm. uh, and I got to thinking about the, the stuff that they were naming, things like um, sewers. The fact that we have sewage systems that carry away our wastewater and other like, you know, nasty stuff, right? Yeah. And how much of the rest of the world just doesn't have that. Man. So if you imagine, like all the all our consumption, all of our waste having to be right front and center. Because part part of why people don't have to acknowledge things or can can feign ignorance of what they're doing is because they aren't confronted with the immediate consequences of it. It's not right in their face. And so I think about and I think about how how privilege has profoundly impacted the way this pandemic was playing off right like you you know you hear about wealthy folks doing rapid testing and having like parties at their places right while other folks are like cooped up wherever they are um or people who can afford couldn't have their groceries delivered or have them shop someone shop for them yeah have food delivered all like all these layers of privilege man that like when they play out under these circumstances we just recognize how like, man, it ain't even, it ain't even like, cause people have poor intentions or bad intentions. It's just, yo, our behavior reflects uh, the difficulty of letting go of comfort and convenience. Like I really, I really do believe if there's a lesson I take away from all of this, it's like, man, comfort really can kill you. Like from literally like, oh, you sitting down all day in a chair 
which means you're sedentary, which means you ain't moving. And I think about how all of those cumulative kinds of effects um, are things that we're gonna have to work hard to, to overcome in order to live well. Yeah. And I think a part of just being able to live well is also being hopeful. Mm -hmm. And so I've been thinking a lot over the last, you know, few weeks about, you know, in the face of all that we see changing and shifting um, with the pandemic and with, you know, our world at large um, and the changes that we see within ourselves, like how do we maintain, um, a collective hope that is mm -hmm. not individualistic, right? Because I think, you know, a lot of times when I think about the ways that I've shifted during the pandemic, I've, I, I think about these, these personal things that I've done. Some of the work that I've done around uh, being more intentional about, um, you know, what I put out into the world, some of the work that we've done with the podcast, right? And, um, mm -hmm. I, I, I guess maintaining this, you know, connection with the way that the world is changing such that I don't feel like I'm responsible for the ways that it doesn't go well, but that I don't completely absolve myself from any responsibility of contributing, right? Right. And, you know, as we, as we you know, even think about the, the impact that we, you know, seek to make, um, in our own individual lives with the people that we affect and you know with this project that is this podcast mm -hmm. um man like i i i hope that we can invite people into you know a kind of thinking or uh a space to you know prioritize those things that um are at our core mm -hmm. um the things that were placed within us before we, you know, knew anything about ourselves or them, um, and this desire to like explore ourselves fully and honestly, uh, but also to care enough about each other to want that for everyone, right? So even as I have been working, you know, with my students and my 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 job, right, um, mm -hmm. I've been trying to like preach this idea of like thinking about autonomy, thinking about how you can create uh, a career or a path for yourself that is specific to what it is that you desire that is not wrapped up in how much money you're going to make and how well off you'll be, um, but that is something that feels like it's connected to, to your innate desire to make an impact, to, to shift things, to create um, and my desire is to help them to do that so that they can also pour into folks that will come behind them to do the same. Um, mm -hmm. And this level of exploration that we've been able to do during this time, I think is, first, it's very difficult. <laughs> Let me not, because yeah. there, there, there have been a lot of very difficult, you know, sleepless nights during the pandemic because of just realizing how much of myself I've poured into those things that don't necessarily serve me, how much mm. um, of my energy that I've spent on other people's dreams, other people's projects, um, 
and how little I have spent on my own on knowing and caring for and loving myself. Um, And in this very, what one of my old therapists would have said is a very selfful way of living rather than selfish, um, Mm -hmm. giving to yourself in a loving and full way. how much all of us would benefit from learning how to love ourselves that way so that we could also extend that kind of love to each other. Um, And so my hope is that we would be able to engage with each other in a way that lets us have the fullness of that love or see the fullness of that love in relationship and extend it to ourselves as well. Much like the announcement that flight attendants make before the flight takes off. Come on. The need to secure your own mask first before you secure that of another. And what strikes me in that is it's not a declaration, one, that we cannot be loved or we cannot be helped until we have loved and helped ourselves in particular ways. Because uh, I don't think of love and care as things that we deserve or don't deserve, but I think of them as things that we require, things that we need, things that are essential for us to have, not just um, an existence, but a life. And you are right on the money that I think what, what has often been normalized for us is that sort of give, give, and give, Um, eradicating boundaries and going above and beyond to do things for others that we don't always recognize uh, we aren't doing for ourselves, Uh, that we are practicing a kind of passive neglect Mm. that leads to an active degradation of our quality of life and being. I will say this, you know, I learned a lot over this last year plus about what really matters to me with respect to quality of life. And I realized that for me, the quality of life is not about a bunch of things. It's not about objects and accumulation. It is certainly about the texture of relationships. It's about the freedom to pause, to rest, to breathe. It's about having the energy when my work is done to creatively work and operate. Um, The energy to play, to explore, to laugh. And God knows I have needed so desperately so many of these moments of respite. There's moments where it's like, man, we're not taking stuff so seriously right now. Like, if anything, we're taking seriously the need to play, the need to, to joke, the need to laugh. Um, and that to me is a, is a reflection that in many ways, this is a lot simpler than we often make it. Um, what, we, what we need most is one another. Um, and that, and it's that the beauty of interdependence that teaches us, man, we don't have to 
strain ourselves and break ourselves trying to carry so much when we let others carry it with us. Um, and when we put ourselves into intentional community that says, man, I'm not gonna let you hurt yourself thinking you gotta do all this by yourself. Mm -hmm. um, we don't get through this life alone. We couldn't get through this pandemic alone. And my hope is that moving forward, at least for myself, that I will be continually delivered from the mindsets and behaviors of being hyper individual, mm -hmm. being isolated and being cut off and insulated from other people. Cause you know, I can be a real hot mess <laughs> by myself. Um, but thank goodness for those who are willing to see me in my mess and love me too much to let me wallow there. Yes, sir. Cheers to doing it together, man. Uh, Indeed. Yeah, man. Indeed. Episode 10, we in there. And so this has been uh, the 10th episode of Black Men Unlearning. Thank you all for listening and being on this journey with us as we continue to dive in, unlearn, shift, and change. Uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Take it easy. All right, y'all. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Black Men Unlearning podcast. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Black Men Unlearning and email us at blackmenunlearning at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our feed wherever you listen to podcasts.